Friendly reminder to everybody that's a fan of the show and all the content we've done to join us on our Discord channel at MajorDemoMedia.com. You can see a link and it'll direct you to our wonderful community of smart comments, smart asses, and just general smart takes on culture. There's a lot more in store for our Discord channel. So Chris laughs because he knows it's true. <laughs> it's just when you said smart comments and then then smart asses, yes. Real, real fucking smart asses. <laughs> So if you are a listener and you're like, I am also a smart-ass motherfucker, you should join us with your witty banter and yeah. your super smart takes about cult- cultural references. If, yeah, if you're just angrily yelling at Dave Chang as you listen to this in your car, you can do it to him in person on Discord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's a ton of stuff there. There's a lot of where to eat, what to cook, all kinds of good stuff, how to as we say, live your life a little bit more deliciously. And all things Momofuku, shop.momofuku.com for all of our pantry items that we develop in our lab for the home cook and uh, all our noodles, the soy and scallion, the spicy and the tingly available nationwide at Target and Whole Foods. Uh, Let's get on to the show. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dylan Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. We're going to talk a little bit about one of my favorite mall foods. We're going to talk a little bit about Nobu, and we're going to talk a little about Nobu in relation to Serena Williams. So we spent a couple days last week in Malibu at a friend's place. I dropped my phone in the ocean. Like you were, I, I technically <laughs> didn't go. No, no, no. I technically didn't go into the ocean, right? Because there's a bacteria warning. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was in the surf, running around with Hugo, and I let my my pants get w- really wet. So effectively, my phone was in the salt water. <laughs> Not a surprise. Salt water and phones don't really go well together. And I, I spent a lot of time traveling from Malibu to Santa Monica Apple Store. Anyway, that's a whole nother story in and of itself. But, but, but I, it this is a, the longest run. I, let me be honest. This is the longest stretch I've ever had without destroying a phone. It's been uh-huh. about a year and a half. This yeah. is the, a real, real record. This is, like, this is a, a, a home run mark. It's a Ted Williams batting 400. As Lala can attest, this really is the longest. <laughs> what, was, what was the shortest streak? In one stretch, I lost my watch. 
This is on my, uh, when Grace and I went on a honeymoon, I lost both of my phones. I had a backup phone, my phone. I lost my watch in the ocean. We were in, in, in uh, Majorca. And then I lost, I left my iPad on the airplane. All four <laughs> things happened in the span of 12 hours. I, I, I'm, 12 fucking hours. <laughs> it's funny to think like when you said like, I, I, I dropped my phone in the ocean, I assumed it was accidental, but you know, like my goodwill hunting moment was, I was like, I hope Dave threw his phone into the ocean. It was no. just like, <laughs> I don't want to be connected anymore, but no, no. no. And as I started this podcast, I realized my iPad that I take a lot of notes on with the stylus, I somehow shattered the screen and I just oh, got back God. from the iPad store. So anyway, Apple, I love you. I'm a Apple product aficionado. That's not what I'm here to talk about though. I went to the Apple store no less than three times in, in, in 48 hours. Each time going there, parked my car, and I went past Wetzel's Pretzels. <laughs> I was trying to rush back home so we could do this podcast. I looked on Waze and said, oh, I have 50 minutes. I texted you guys. I might be a little bit late. I don't have time to eat. The kids already came back home a little bit early, and I was, I was just like dealing with my Apple shit. And I said, I've already passed this location two times. I'm not going to pass it a third. <laughs> I went in with a lot of confidence. I went in straight in saying I would like a Wetzel's hot dog and I want the pizza bites. And the lady back there said, we don't have pizza bites available. I said, okay, let me just get a regular salted pretzel. And she said, aha. She said, aha. But <laughs> I have pepperoni, pepperoni bread available. I said, I've never had that. Let's get that. Let's, let's do this right away. Would you like cheese sauce? I said, no, no, I, I don't want anything. I just want these two things. Let's go. Let's do it. And I'm too right cheap, away. too cheap to buy a, um, a drink because I already had a, a bottle of plastic water bottle in my car that's already had like, sitting in my car. It was a near boiling temperature already. So I said, All right, now that's what I'm going to drink on the car ride home. <laughs> like an old Chinese woman, just some hot water. <laughs> yeah. The, the pepperoni bread never even made it into my car. Consumed <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> Scorching hot. Can I, I just wanted to say, it is probably the best. And I'm going to throw Auntie Anne's pretzels because unlike Coca-Cola and Pepsi, there is no variation between Wetzel's and Auntie Anne's. I, I think they're the same, right? Same. They're, they're, they're the left and right hand of the same person. They're, they're, just the same. they're both right, <laughs> they're the two left, right hands. They're, left they're, and right yeah, twix. It's, yeah, it's the same thing. So I have to be honest here. I, I, saved, I, I was going to save the pretzel dog for Hugo, but I didn't. I ate it on the right home because of a lot of traffic. And as I was eating this thing, I have to say, I think it's one of the very best bites of food I've had in a long time. Really? I haven't had one in so long. It's so incredibly good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you just eat it unadorned? You don't put any mustard? No, I don't. On there. I, no, no. I'm not a mustard on a pretzel kind of person or mm. cheese sauce or whatever. I want the buttery goodness, right? The, mm -hmm. This is like eating a robochon potato. It's really a vehicle for the artificial butter that's inside this. Sort of semi-laminated pretzel dog. Mm -hmm. The hot dog itself is pretty juicy. It's really good. Why I'm going to say it's one of the best things I've ever had, it's got the textural contrast that I love so much. Because there's so much fat in it and the juice, it's got the pigs in a blanket thing, but they develop a really nice crust so mm. it's super super pan pizza crust like thing it's almost like if you made a pan pizza dough with the pretzel bread crust and i'm oh not a fan God. of pretzel bread in general I, I i'm not a fan this is not this is a very low 
lye solution, right? It doesn't have that pretzel flavor, in my opinion. It really isn't. It's more like a bread. I got to say, if I had to come up with a list of some of the best sort of mall-like things, because this is in the promenade in Santa Monica, I think it's one of the best things you could eat in an airport, shopping mall, or any place. It is undeniably good. I'm going to dare say it's the fucking best, one of the best things you could eat. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And when I had mm-hmm. it, I said, I, I w- it won't be another three years before I, have, I meet you again. <laughs> uh, I don't disagree. I think, I think it also has like a Subway, like a good version of Subway. You can smell a Wetzel's pretzels from the Banana Republic across the mall. You, can, you always know when you're approaching one. What a brilliant model. It's made all of minute. What, 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 what do you want here? You know, they make it right in front of you. Yeah. It's an amazing operation. I also am in awe that they're everywhere and it's extremely consistent. I don't think it gets enough enough love. What, what do you mean they make it a la minute? They make the pretzel dog? They made your pretzel dog a la minute? Again, it's the show. They're making the pretzel there. Oh, oh I see what you're saying. Right, right, you know what right, I mean? right, right. It's like I mean, the, the Chinese dough, the restaurant. The comes out the... of, a, like a, I'm sure, like a Play-Doh bucket, right? But like, <laughs> I saw her rolling the shit out. I was like, yeah. <laughs> adds to my enjoyment. Sure. It's the it's the fish in the Seattle fish market flying back and forth. Like I, I got just you. it was just me wanting to let everyone know in a public service announcement. Indulge yourself in a pretzel <laughs> hot dog at Auntie Anne's or Wetzel's pretzels, probably owned by the same company. That would be a genius move. My my other takeaway from your story, if I may, is when you order food. <laughs> Ending with "Let's do this right away" <laughs> may be my favorite way of ordering food I've ever heard. <laughs> let's do this right away. So next time you place an order at a restaurant, let's do this right away. It's the equivalent of like Star Trek make make it so. <laughs> What's the last time you had one? It was with one Mr. Joshua Skeens, mm. who would never admit the way you did that that motherfucker loves a pretzel like, dog for fucking real. <laughs> It's an exquisite bite of food. <laughs> it's I'm, true, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic for no good reason here. This is genuinely delicious. I was just in awe of how fucking good it was. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Josh Keenan would say, well, it'd only be better if I hunted for it. <laughs> it was a venison dog with my own sourdough. No. It was exquisite. If this was on a tasting menu... Or some kind of restaurant, people would go ape shit. Mm-hmm. They really would. Mm-hmm. But instead, the restaurant would have to be like, "No, I'm making my hot dog from scratch, and it's, uh, it's you know, with my own laminate crew." Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Whatever they do is what you should be doing. Yeah, don't try to fancy this up. Don't el- don't. Oh, here's my favorite, Chang. Don't make an elevated Wetzel's pretzel. <laughs> Please, just do what they do and serve it. I just. It's one of my favorite things to eat. It really is. So you should be listening to this podcast right now as you drive to your local mall and buy one of these. Mm-hmm. And just give them the promo code Dave Chang Show. <laughs> That's C-H-A-N-G. For 0% off your next hot <laughs> pretzel. Use code C-H-A-N-G. Uh, you know what else is funny? You know what else is the quintessential mall thing, though, is formerly Jamba Juice but I, I, I am assuming for legal reasons had to drop juice from their name and just Jamba. That's, that's a central mall food too, but... Uh, what did John, did, 
did Jamba Juice ever get to the level where people realize that it's not healthy for you? I think that is why they had to, like, I'm assuming that's why they can no longer be called Jamba Juice, because it's just Jamba ice cream milkshake. And if you look at the calories of a large Jamba Juice versus the calories of Cinnabon, I, you know where I'm going. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. My favorite is like when you go to Jamba Juice, though, and you order your 3,600 calorie uh, smoothie, you can add like an immunity boost of spirulina. <laughs> it's like, oh, now it's healthy. I'm just going to give a shout out to my friend who may or may not listen to the show, he got gout because he would make a smoothie for himself every night before he would go to bed. And the doctor said, what have you changed in your diet? Well, I've been making smoothies at night. (laughs) Uh And and the doctor says- It is actually the main reason why he got gout. (laughs) But what was he putting in these alleged smoothies? These weren't just like protein. I said, shakes. I said, what have you been putting? Foie gras in there? Like <laughs> what, 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 just what's beer going on? and braised short ribs and foie gras and oysters. <laughs> the other thing that happened was um we 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 decided in all our um brilliance to take a family outing and go to Nobu Malibu. I've never been. With the kids? Mm-hmm. Wow. First of all, it's a beautiful location. Mm-hmm. I was also struck at how everyone looked the same. <laughs> what did they look like? Not the servers, right? <laughs> but you might as well. Every for the most part, everyone in there felt like they 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 looked the same. Like everyone had the same look. Mm. If that makes any sense. I don't even know what is it the Southern California beach look, but it all looked the same. Same kind of hair, <laughs> same kind of clothes. Uh huh. I know what you're saying. Did you guys stick out? Oh yeah. And, 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 and to the left of me, I saw another um, couple with a baby. And I was like, oh, we're not the only ones with a baby. Until they took out a dog out of the stroller. <laughs> and they put a diaper on it. And I, I, I just... Wait, wait, wait. Excuse me? Really? Swear, swear to fucking God. Put a diaper on it. Yeah. They diapered the dog in the mm-hmm. stroller? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a baby. It was, like, it was one of those toy dogs. And uh, uh, anyway, I, I'm a huge fan of Nobu Matsuhisa and everything they've done. Um, and we'll get, I want to talk about them in a second, but I still want to get into what happened. I had a very much a Larry David moment. So we get there. They don't take any reservations. Um, they don't take reservations with three to six. And I said, okay, we'll try to walk in. So check this out, Chris, without a reservation, we tried to, we walked in there with two kids, two babies. <laughs> no reservation. What time? We got there four fifty five. <laughs> right, people Prime already time. out and about doing their Malibu thing. They sit us down. We get two high chairs. We're 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 doing our thing. We're about to order, and then they and I ask, "Is it possible we get something outdoors for like COVID and safety?" And they said, "No, nothing's available." And then ten minutes in, they say, "Oh, something became available, but it's a little sunny." They're telling us this as we're walking towards this new table outside. I was like, fine. It's a little sunny. Uh-huh. It's a little sunny. Fine. We sit down, and I had to set up menus to protect our kids from the sun on the table, <laughs> like little sunshades out of the menus. We're the only table there that's not in the the the, the shade. The only uh-huh. other table is the couple with the baby dog with the diaper on. <laughs> And that dog is protected by the stroller. So you were setting up menus to like create shade. As the sun Hugo. was coming down to the uh, uh, sunsets in the west, right? That's right. Yeah. 
as the sun was setting down, it was very similar to the sun in Indiana Jones when he was trying to find the location of the Lost Ark. It just was a penetrating focus of rays onto our table. <laughs> Revealing the location in the map room. Uh -huh. Sweating. Hugo's freaking out. It's so hot. <laughs> so I had to go back. You moved back. And I said, I have to be this fucking horrible individual here. And I know that you just set up these two high chairs. And I know that we just got up, but we're going to have to go back because this is... <laughs> I was like, look, look at look at my shirt and look at my face and look at my kids. They're already red from the sun. We have to we have to go back to the shade. I don't care about COVID. Let's just Yo. go back. I don't care. So we, you, were, we you were Jack from Lost. Spent the whole first three seasons getting off the island. <laughs> You're like, we have to go back. Can I tell you something absolutely insane, Dave? My wife and I went to dinner last night as well. And we went to a restaurant. We're out here in the Berkshires. And we got to the restaurant. I was like, oh, it looks nice outside. They sat us inside. And I said, oh, actually, you know, we're here pretty early. You know, it's still warm outside. Could we go sit outside? So they, they brought us outside to the table and then took our drink orders and went back inside. And I looked at my wife and she looked like she was freezing. <laughs> and so when the server came back, I was like, I'm so sorry. We need to go back inside. <laughs> so on the other side of the country, I was pulling off the parallel move, man. I was like... <laughs> Take me back in. And I knew I knew what they were thinking. They can't. There's a smile on their face, but they're basically they grin fucking me. They're like, fuck. In, internally, they're like, fuck you, motherfucker. The servers <laughs> that had to bring the high chairs back were like, fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> Everybody was like, fuck you, motherfucker. You fuck. Seriously? Fuck you. Yeah. Take me outside. Take me back inside. <laughs> It, it almost felt like you were a vampire and you forgot that the sun was rising and you were going to disintegrate in the sun. It was that powerful. And we had, we, there was no choice. There was no choice. We would not have a family. They, they, they would have been so bad had we st stayed there. We would have died. We would have fried. We would have died at the restaurant. <laughs> we wound up having a, a lovely meal and uh, I, I'm in awe of what Nobu's created. I just... <sighs> I, I dream and I'm jealous and envious of all the things I could have done to make it, to make something like Nobu. Who, who's to say that we won't down the road still, but that restaurant is fucking unbelievable. The restaurants all around the world. When I opened up in Australia, there was a Nobu knockoff opening up and a bunch of these, these mercenaries showed up and I got to know them. There's a, Nobu's created such a large business that there are ex Nobu people that are hired to open up Nobu knockoffs all around the, the world. Oh, wow. They're like Nobu Blackwater. Yeah, it's Nobu Blackwater. That's just how powerful. It's unbelievable. I, I just, I, I admire the price point. I mean, you can't get out of there without spending real dollars. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish, I wish I came up with the fried rock shrimp with spicy sauce or ponzu. It, it just is. I just want to have a moment of silence to admit <laughs> it's one of the greatest. If Wetzel's is one of the great dishes, uh, uh, <sighs> I get hot and bothered thinking about the, the, the money that was made off this dish and the pickup. It's like looking at modern art genius. I just, uh, $33, <laughs> $33 for fucking amazingness. It's so good. It's fried in a beautiful batter. I've had it all over the place. 
it, it just gives me so much joy. And never once do I ever leave thinking, wow, I got ripped off on that. I never once feel that. I, I wish I could charge food at this price point, $33 for rock shrimp fried. It's fucking genius. And then tossed in like, it's like spicy mayo basically, right? Yeah, it's so good. It's just, <laughs> I can't believe how, what is the, I don't even know how to wrap my head around how happy it makes you because <laughs> you're sitting there. You know, a grumpy dad at the next table is like $33 for rock shrimp. And you're just basking in how much money, you know, this restaurant is making from this. Because I'm so happy that he's doing it. It's just amazing. I'm more happy that he has the parking lots. And he knows what, what an amazing business model. But, you know, if there's <laughs> sushi restaurants, just they can get away with things that other restaurants can't in, in the same vein that what they can get with Italian restaurants. So I, I think the only thing I can do is try to make a, more more things like this as a restaurant concept one day. If Marguerite, if you're he hearing this, just note to self. Well, give it. Say, say more about that though. Like Japanese restaurants can get away with. Are you talking about like I can charge for no, edamame? No, back, back back up back up. It's not just about that. Nobu has earned the right to charge what it charges. Mm. It's just it's a cheesecake factory for a certain set. It's so craveable for certain amounts of, for people. And Matsuhisa is a very similar menu in Beverly Hills. I love it. Nobu's there all the time. Mm -hmm. It's just an amazing, I, I just marvel. He is not just the upper echelon. If you had to do the, the culinary pyramid of fucking badass, most amazing fucking people, Nobu is number one. He is the Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, number fucking one. Number one. There's no one even close. If you want to talk about the the chef that's had the most fucking impact, simultaneously making the most amount of money and making people happy and being relevant for almost 40 years with a global mm -hmm. presence, we are all just like, this guy is a, a demigod. He is, in my opinion, the number one chef in terms of not just culinary, but the whole package of business, of influence. The motherfucker wasn't Austin Powers for fuck's sake. Right, like, <laughs> I just can't say more positive things of his entire operation. The service is always great. The food is always wonderful. People are happy as fuck when they leave there. It's not cheap by any means. It's sushi, but it's all these other things. What he's done to be able to change Asian flavors, I, I, I just marvel at everything that he's done. I love him. I've met him a handful of times. I think he's the can I just tell my favorite Nobu story? Maybe I've even said it before. And he's been so kind to me over the years. And, and Matsuhisa-san is the best. He's the fucking coolest. He's the best. There's no one that comes even remotely close. Again, I cannot stress this enough. <laughs> he pulled this off. And I don't even know if this is how he felt about it. But many years ago, I spent a lot of time in Kyoto. And, and I, I haven't kept in touch with a lot of those guys in Kyoto. But in New York, I would say 2010-ish or so. There was a big, every Michelin star Kyoto chef came to New York to do this huge dinner at uh, one of the big cultural things. It was a big, big thing. And they were hosting the after party dinner in Nobu 57. And Nobu 57 had just sort of opened up. It's like a year old. So at least 10 years old. There's like 50 plus chefs from Kyoto. The best of the best from Kyoto are there. And they're so, they're so good. They are as important as they come, you know. You can't get bigger than these chefs in Japan. You really can't for Kaiseki mm -hmm. cuisine. I was asked to attend and they're hosting it. I show up about 30 minutes beforehand and Nobu's there and we're chatting. 
And this party goes like an hour late. The, they show up late. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was pretty ridiculously late. Mm -hmm. And I'm having a wonderful time just chatting with Nobu in the space that I think was like, I can't remember exactly where, but there are a bunch of tables and we're just chatting. Finally, they show up. And what I don't remember how late it was, but it was considerably late. These are all the chefs. These are the Kyoto chefs. Yeah, and all the press okay. and all the media. Okay, okay. And, okay. Then, and then I can't say if it's two hours, hour late, but regardless, it was pretty late in terms of what happened. Nobody's fault. Things run over schedule. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm there because I have to, because of reverence and respect to these other chefs and to Nobu. I'm just a peon. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's there and Nobu gets up there to introduce everybody and say, mm. does this... Two seconds spiel. Thank you. Really honored. I'm sitting next to him. He gets up, does his talk, finishes his introductory speech. And it's got to feel, it feels like 1030, 1145, something really late. Uh -huh. He finishes speech and he walks right out the room. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking gangster move. Gangster move. <laughs> He, I mean, like, he looked at me on the way out and he, I didn't have to say anything. I was like, oh, fuck. That's so bad. You are the baddest ass person I've ever met in my life. He's like, he's like, you had one hour of my time and you chose to spend most of it not being here. I'm out of here. Yeah. That's sick. It's amazing. I just, I had so many stories like that of Nobu. I'm just like, man, you are just the baddest ass motherfucker. He was totally calm. He was super pleasant. He's such an affable person, but he was like, you know what? Uh, no, I'm, I'm leaving. And I'm not even saying, he just, he was a whole new kind of goodbye. It wasn't an Irish goodbye. There's, there's a noble goodbye. <laughs> He's just like, say it's nothing. such an honor to be here. I look forward to spending time with you. So let me give you a framework of what it's like. <laughs> okay. Um, you're the best man of a wedding. The wedding party, like it, it starts really late or whatever. The wedding party, the, 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 the reception starts late. For whatever reason, mm -hmm. I get up there to do my best man speech, finish it. I look at the bride and groom and I walk right out the fucking door <laughs> into my car and I get out of there. That's what it felt like. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> He's like, raise a glass, everybody, to the new happy couple. Um, we're going to have a great time tonight. I mean, you guys are. I'm out of here. <laughs> just leaves. <laughs> oh, my God. He just, he just is unflappable. He doesn't give a fuck about all the stupid shit. He is just on a whole nother planet to himself. And I, I bet you, if you asked other chefs, if they really wanted to think about who's the most influential, who's the baddest ass, just change the whole game for everybody. It's Nobu Matsuhisa. And for a long time, he was always in the, the conversation for best of best chef and all of these awards. And then it just stopped. It just stopped. He's never won James Beard, most outstanding restaurateur, chef, whatever. He just stopped. I remember, mm -hmm. I think I was in uh, France and we did a, I did a demo and he was there and he was sitting next to Pierre Gagnier. And I was like, oh, that's fucking, that's amazing. Did two of my favorite fucking chefs of all time sitting next to each other in their fucking super cool outfits. They, they were just, when they're dressed in all black, all black, it just, oh, they yeah. look way better dressed than anybody else. And he was so nice to me and he had no reason to be nice to me. And he's always been so nice to me. And uh, Matsuhisa-san is the best. And I, I envy the success of his restaurants because it's changed the game and uh, it's been copied the world over. It really has. And 
listen, I, I had a great meal there. I never have a bad meal there. I just, I, I, I marvel at the fact that everybody knows it. Everybody likes it. And he takes a lot of money from people. And I couldn't <laughs> be happier for him. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think you're right at a certain, I mean, it was probably like early 2000s. People still held Nobu. Like I remember seeing his cookbook and just thinking like, this is the sickest thing in the world. You're right that he is quietly continued to dominate, but like he's fallen out of like the, the public dialogue about this stuff. And I think that there are a couple of reasons. One is that like, I don't think he craves it. I think he craves just like crushing the business side of things and just and doing his thing the other is like i don't know we need to like get too deep into this but like i suspect that part of the reason why people don't why nobu is underrated is like all this armchair ex expertise bullshit sushi bro like people think they know what real sushi is and they write off nobus as like inauthentic well, it's not authentic. It's Peruvian. So people should shut the fuck up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Listen, he's gotten all the success and then some. He's got hotels. I would just murder for his kind of success. For someone that's been pretty successful, like, I can't stop but admire everything that he's done. It's just on a whole nother level of fucking amazingness. He doesn't get nearly the amount of respect. He's now so supremely underrated. Mm hmm that it's 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 comical nobody even if you, people love it people don't talk enough about hillstones people don't talk enough about people like nobu yeah because they're so dominant but maybe we should be talking about it a little bit more because everybody loves it everybody's happy it's extremely crowd pleasing and uh, even my kids had a good time i asked for hugo if i could get some white rice with some ikara and they, they did it, and it was beautiful. And Hugo ate the whole goddamn thing. He goes, I like this place. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> can this be our neighborhood spot? No. I guess the only issue is Nobu can become problematic. Not problematic, but it's like the local lunch canteen for a certain s set of people. That, I think, is... It does, yeah, it caters to... The, the, the audience it caters to can be pretty fucking annoying, I'm sure. Well, we just want to say is many of the... Diners there. <laughs> I don't know if I would have the, the patience. Right. <laughs> but that's key to his success because he's like, you know who I need to serve? These you think you think Nobu wants to hang out with them? <laughs> he doesn't want to hang out with them either. But he knows what they like. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, 
view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. And speaking of longevity, it's this whole idea of transitioning as you get older as a chef. And something we've talked about in the past few podcasts, working in this profession, what happens as you get older. And I think if anything, Nobu's created a template for a lot of people. Uh, he used to be in kitchens. I, I would hear the stories that he would keep a knife roll at every Nobu and he would always get behind the line. I, I know he's in the Beverly Hills location as much as he can, but he, there is a way to do it. And a lot of people listening that might be a chef was thinking to themselves like, I can't do what he's doing. Well, you can, <laughs> you know, even I can, you just got to like find a way. He did something that's relatively impossible. He helped popularize raw fish mm -hmm. with Peruvian flavors, with cilantro and spice. It's, listen, it can happen. It, it, there's a little bit of field of dreams type of stuff, but if anything, I think it's a lesson that anything is possible. You just have to just go out and do it. And if you know anything about his life story, it is the furthest thing from, Oh, this all happened very easily. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not, you know, there's, there's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of heartache and I am so happy for everything that's happened to him. And he's just real role model for, for myself and a lot of other people. And I don't know if a lot of listeners understand that enough is that he is fucking, you know, on a whole, he's managed to, like, to what you were saying. He has managed to extend a chef's career longer than oh, my bone's broke and I can't do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, you could probably even say Ducasse, Alain Ducasse, the great French chef who also suffered a lot of tragedy, survived a helicopter crash. And I think that was a pivotal moment for him to be like, fuck it, I'm going to go ham. I'm going to fucking rule everything. And I, Lord knows how big his career and how much money he makes and how successful he is. But I would probably venture to guess that nobody's as, as successful as Nobu. I can Just, see that. There's not even a, I, I, again, I don't have any data, but that's my gut. But I was thinking about all this simply because of Serena Williams. And, you know, as we were writing, uh, recording this, she's in the third round. This is her last tournament ever. And this whole idea of can you get better as you get older? I don't have an answer to that. I don't. I don't. Because it's not like you have to evolve. You have to change. And I, I wrestle with this all the time. My confidence wavers in terms of what you're allowed to do, what you think you can do. And if you have the means to even execute a lot of these ideas that you have, but it's something that has preoccupied my thoughts for a long time about when you are really good at this job. Cause at some point you're just not, mm -hmm. there are exceptions to the rule. So I don't, this isn't about finding a definitive answer. It's just more of a conversation that Serena's done this in her profession and she's won more grand slams than anybody else. And she's done it. And a lot of it at an advanced age in tennis. I don't know if that's possible in, in cooking. I just don't. Hmm. Without fundamentally shifting your career into something else. It's interesting, right? Like Bill, Bill Simmons tweeted something about how, you know, there's nothing in, in all his time covering sports, there's still nothing more compelling than like an aging star giving it their all and having a little left in the tank and outperforming everybody's expectations. You, that's what we're talking about here is, can you can you summon the will, the strength, the creativity to do it again once you're past your quote unquote prime? But here's my question for you, because we, we've been talking about this for for as long as I've known you. I remember you said 
you know, you used to keep a list of every chef in their most successful dishes and the age at which they created them. And I think it was like something like most of these chefs created these dishes around the age of 27 or 28 or something like that. 27 to 34. 27 to 34. When you, when you first told me this, you were, I think around 33, 34, like you were approaching that window you know, you're, you're 10 years removed from that window. Now you opened major domo outside that window. Like what is your view of it now relative to like when you were, you know, 30 and coming up with this list? First of all, there is definitely exceptions to the rule, right? And if you look at, uh, artists, you can get better as you get older. Jasper Johns is a perfect example. There are, that's the only one that comes to my mind, but in terms of art, there are people that get better, but I do think there are exceptions to the rule. I don't know exactly in a definitive way how I can explain why the older you get, the less creative you are. I think the creativity changes. I think, in my opinion, and this is all loosely held, I used to believe it was pretty firm, much like a, um, if you're a, a uh, grand master wizard uh, grandmaster wizard, grandmaster chess champion, not grandmaster wizard, I think not the grand, Ku Klux Klan. I think, I, I think a grand wizard. You is can a become better as a racist as you get older, <laughs> not less racist. You um, can definitely become more racist the older you get. Let's that's that's for sure. But there's a certain age range, right? Most of the great chess champions are from like 18 to say 24. You can look at that for a variety of kinds of athletes. You can also look at that for singers. But again, there's always exceptions to the rule. But at some point, regardless. With all the exceptions, at some point, there is a scale where you get a, a point where you get less good at your job. Mm-hmm. There just is. And I think the main reason why, regardless of age, because age, what I also want to add, age has nothing to do with your ability to be better as a person, to be more knowledgeable as a person. Age is really relative because it's about how many hands of poker you've seen or played, right? Mm-hmm. And it's how youthful you look at the world i think one of the the things you have to overcome is this is wisdom <laughs> you try so hard to ac- accumulate experience and it's this strange paradox this critical point where i think that if you have too much knowledge too much wisdom too many hands of poker that you start to not be as quote unquote good anymore is that because you feel like the parameters of success become more and more defined. You've seen so many hands. You're like, there's nothing that exists outside of this box. I, I don't know. Again, when I say loosely held, I don't want anyone listening to this. Be like, well, that's not true. It's this. I just want people to know this is an exploration. This is something that I think about quite a bit and where I'm at in my personal life in terms of what I can do and cannot do anymore. And do I think that I can do it? Yeah. But the reality is physically, I don't know if I can. Also, I have kids now. My mind is in a completely different place. I don't have the mental energy to be a total selfish, narcissistic prick about what I want to do anymore. So the confidence changes. But for me, and I've been identified it with my shrink over many years, and for me, I can only speak for myself, what happens is, for me, I learn through failure and mistakes. It's not that I can't come up with the ideas. It's that I don't recover as quickly from that failure. It hurts. Mm. It hurts so much more. Mm-hmm. And I also think there is this strange correlation be- between knowing a lot, having wisdom, accumulating experience, 
that prevents you from trying something that you know is stupid and impossible. Hmm. It's almost like you have to continually empty your mind of what is possible. For example, one time I was talking to Dave Arnold and he legitimately is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life of cooking issues. And he was like, oh, I got to like, get some of this German out of my head, this German philosophy in my head. I got to like remove it, like empty the cash in my head so I can acquire something else. He can say something like that, but everyone else, not so much. But I think this is where meditation, this is where it becomes uh, a mantra. This is where Juan Riarzak always says he, he constantly meditates on what it's like to think like a younger child. You have to sort of flush out the jadedness, the cynicism, the heartache, and constantly replenish that with what is potentially possible. And it's this naivete, it's this stupidity that actually is responsible for a lot of great ideas. Mm -hmm. And for me, the older I get, the more hands of poker I've seen, the more I'm able to edit in my head like an algorithm, oh, that's not going to be possible. That's not going to work. Or that's stupid. Mm -hmm. But if I applied that same process when I was younger, nothing would have happened. I just didn't know it at that time. I was just full of piss and vinegar. I'm like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And it's this younger self version that's fighting with the older self. And I'm not saying younger versus older. It's literally just how many hands of poker has one played? And I use that as an expression versus how many hands of poker I've played now in actuality. And, and that's what I think is interesting is, is you can do things to keep yourself younger, but at some point you still have to transition. That's what I really want to get to. You have to make that transition into something else. I just, I, I feel very strongly about that, that you can't mm-hmm. just continue to be the chef that you used to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, I was thinking like what you were describing there as like the knowledge translates like very directly, honestly, to like a tennis court. I'm thinking about like, am I going to chase down this cross court shot that like I know I might get to, but like eight out of 10 times I know it's just going to cause me pain. I'm not going to go chase that down. And you just stop chasing those extremes quite as much anymore. And like taking it back to Nobu, like that's, you know, that's, we, let's, let's, let's say this. I remember having this conversation with you and a bunch of chefs in Copenhagen. I was just listening as you guys were walking and it was like, let's give, let's give chefs the window of basically 25 to 40 as their sort of most fertile productive years as a chef. Let's give that window similar to a professional athlete. You peak and you can probably grind it out to 40. The, the problem is professional athlete, uh, if you've grounded out till 40, you've made enough money to coast. But like what happens to a chef if you can't change at 40, you haven't put enough in the bank unless you're extremely, extremely lucky to just walk away. So you have the, the job has to change if that job is going to last to 50, 60 retirement age, right? Like that's what you're saying. It's the yeah, it's the misses that hurt more. Right. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I took some big swings on ideas. And the reality is, I think those ideas were right. The timing was wrong. And if you miss on the timing, it doesn't really matter. You know, I think about ghost kitchens all the time. Had I done that at a later point, things would be very different, I think. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I get a lot of offers or a lot of I, people are like, oh, you should do this again. I, I just don't know if I can. I did, I did it two times. And there's a lot of money, billions of dollars being poured into ghost kitchens right now. I don't know. If I want to start another equipment company, I don't know if I want to start another one of these. It's, it's, it's mainly because I know how hard it is and how impossible it is, which is why when I look at someone like Nobu, where they've 
transcended almost the, the the meaning of what it is to be a chef, and they have this, something that is extremely sustainable in terms of the the business of it, and that people like it. It's like that's sort of the goal, right? If you can, but again, not everyone can do that. Not literally, there's only one Nobu. So I wonder, how do you do this? Um, how do you create something that's sustainable in a creative way? And I don't think it's creative in the, I think the idea of being creative changes. I think creative, at least for me, was all, a lot of ideas that I wanted to see, I wanted to focus on. And now it changes into something that's, I don't know how to explain it, but how I think isn't the same. And I, I don't have the confidence I have to recreate some of the ideas that I had when I was younger. I just don't, hmm. but it's changed. So I'm in the process of changing how I think. And I look at, other chefs and other people in general and, 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 or, or filmmakers or comedians or film directors. And it's this whole thing of, as you get older, it's an interesting dance. You don't think you have the confidence or you don't have the naivete anymore to chase those things. Imposter syndrome never leaves. Mm -hmm. It never leaves. Right. And I think I just trying something new mm -hmm. and this is in, in relation to a lot of things we've been talking about fighting the same, how imitation is sort of suicide, all these things is as much as I talk about it, I'm less inclined to try something spectacularly new and bold because there's more to lose, but it's certainly just a framework of how one thinks and not actually what, you know, you should be doing. So I'm just trying to get to a place of what that new, you know, I, I don't really have a, again, a, a good way of describing this. This is just me sort of talking out loud about. Do you think like, uh, because you get Serena's out every now and then and basically, or a Tom Brady or whatever, who will, who will put, who will say in advance, this is it. This is my one last ride. And that seems to spur them to do it one more time, you know, and then sometimes they come back and do it again and again and again. But like, do you think that that would, I don't think that you're mentally in this place, but like, what if someone, what if, what if you were to say fast and the furious one last ride, I'm going to do, I'm going to open something crazy, a restaurant concept. Yeah. I think about that a lot, but I do think that my last sort of like my last feeling of that was opening a major domo, the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I, I approached that as such, but you know, I don't know what the future holds in terms of that end, but I do know that a lot of my focus is, building what we have on Major Domo Media and helping out Momofuku in different ways other than the day-to-day. -day. But when I think about some of the dishes that I created or was part of, I don't know how that happened. Mm -hmm. I really don't know. I mean, I was so in it. You live and breathe it. You sleep it. It's all I thought about. It was maniacal. And now I don't. Just like I don't listen to music so much. But I will say, I went to a concert recently I went to James Murphy's uh, set at the This Ain't No Picnic at the Rose Bowl. It was the first live concert I've seen in three years. And I used to go to concerts all the time when I was younger. And I'm bringing mm -hmm. this up as maybe this is a remedy to it. And I used to listen to a lot of live music. I used to go to live concerts all the time. If I wasn't at the bar, I was drinking at the bar at a concert <laughs> after service, you know, and just sort of being in the sort of center of a lot of music in, in New York City. I got exposed to so much. And now as I get older, I don't even care so much as I, as I used to. I just am older. And that, it sort of feels that same way with how I used to think about food in a lot of ways. It's different. And if you ask me like, hey, do you want to go to this concert? I'd be like, no, I, you know, 
I'll just listen to it on. What's the point of going to a live show? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you become Isaac Lee. Uh-huh. I got you. Yeah. And I just didn't. And I didn't. The reason why is I went to the show mainly to see, I'm not name dropping you, see James, right? Who's a good friend of mine, LCD and the band. And they're amazing live. They're one of the best live bands. And I literally found out the night before, this is how little I know about music. He's like, hey, I'm in town. Mm-hmm. You want to go watch? Man, I was like, okay. This is the night before. I didn't even know they were playing. <laughs> yeah. And Grace and I went. And we saw the Tigre play before. And I hadn't seen them play live in like a long time. A lot of great bands. We only went one of the two days of this music festival. First of all, I was blown away by how old I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was blown away by how old I was. <laughs> Not how young everybody else around me was. I was at this music, at the music conference, because how young everybody was, yeah. and I looked at people just strung out, people that were super fucked up, people that were drinking a lot of water bottles. I just knew what drugs everybody was on, and I was also reminding myself as Grace, like, God, I just want to do a lot of drugs right now. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to get back, you know. We got to get back home. We got kids, and I just, you know. People were, people were having a good time and it was full of youth. It was full of energy. And it was also a time, time and place that wasn't for me anymore. But ironically, the band's my age and older. And the bands that were playing are fucking older. They're in the mid 40s to 50s for sure. So I found that to be funny. And so much of this is sort of just what you do and how you think about something. And this is what I've been wrestling with and why I'm sharing it. The performances were amazing. It was amazing. It's just so much fun to see a live band and how just the, the concert was great. It, it, it renewed, like, this is what I, th- I was thinking. I was like, oh my God, I should be doing this more often. This is so no, stupid. You, no. In the you sense of, that? I, no, in the sense of it's nice to get out of your comfort zone. It's nice to get out mm. of your bubble of jaded cynicism. It's nice to get new inputs and new data. And we go back to... Um, John Jay, who was part on a podcast maybe three months ago, and he was the head of advertising for Nike, and he's doing a lot of things. And I mean, he's the one that says it. He's like old as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. he stays really young by immersing himself with people that are at the sort of the nexus of cool shit that's been happening. I think you have to make a concerted effort to fight that, that mindset of, I'm just going to like get old and get set in my ways. And the reason what I thought what I thought when I was at that show was I need to get out of my my whatever I'm doing at least more regularly than what mm-hmm. I you know nor think, right? I, in some ways I felt the same when uh, when I left Providence for dinner. It's like I don't really want to go to three Michelin star dining because that's what Providence is. It's not two Michelin, it's three Michelin star dining. I don't really want to eat that. But when I left that dinner, it was full of life. It was, yeah. it was life-giving because it was amazing to see excellence at a level. And I was privileged and fortunate enough to have tasted that. And I'm not saying that's what you'd need to do every once in a while, but I bring this up in this coming out of this pandemic age where we've been in our bubbles. And I think what of the past three years, you might, for myself, I can't speak for anyone else, more entrenched in your ways of how you do something than ever before. And going to this concert, going to Providence, it was a nice reminder of, hey, if I want to not be young or relevant, but at least know to be able to talk about things, I need to engage with culture in a way that I don't do on a normal day-to-day basis anymore. Yeah. You need to do, my mom was a pharmacist and they would 
she called it uh, continued education. You have to continue to take in it. You don't you don't learn everything about being a pharmacist, about medicine. You don't learn everything about food and culture and then stop and you're done. And, and music is a perfect example, right, Shane? Because like every generation, us included, reaches a certain age where you're like, I just don't get this music anymore. These, this young people music is terrible. It's not what we used to listen to. But if that were true, <laughs> then like music would just be getting worse and worse and worse. It's just that you're not, you're not used to it. And I, and I think that like, the other thing you said about needing to break out of your bubble applies. I'm thinking about you going to Nobu and, and sitting with the other clientele there or going to this music festival and being surrounded by younger people and just going to places where you aren't surrounded by you is probably I I've, I've said this for a while now. Like, I think this is the most important thing that we can do. And probably the reason why like divisiveness has grown so exponentially during the pandemic is we don't have that daily lesson of, Hey, you know, did you know you could sit next to somebody you fucking hate and both eat a Wetzel's pretzel and survive? Did you know that you could like coexist with people out there in the world? I mean, and that's uh, to bring it back full circle in terms of how we started. If I was my normal Jade itself, I probably wouldn't have had a Wetzel's pretzels, not just out of laziness. I'm like, "Ah, I've had whatever. But to taste this pretzel in all of its glory, I was like, (laughs) but but to taste it not in a way that I normally would, to taste it just blindly on its own merit. I was like, this is delicious. I don't give a shit about anything else. I don't give a shit that was a mom. I was like, this could be fantastic in and of itself. So part of it is just, again, it was a reminder, maybe how I create, how I think about things just has to be done in a different way. And I think it's a transition. I'm in a transitional phase as a, on the wrong side, headed towards the wrong side of 40 now, you know? And that's the thing is if I was at this concert taking MDMA and all these other drugs that all these other kids were on, that I think is a problem. Right. Hanging out, hanging out with these 20 year olds. That's different. That's you pretending to be 22 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Different thing. Um, All right. Give us five stars.